Welcome to another episode of the 3 and D Show. Man, uh, what a game. The Grizzlies lost another one. It's getting, uh, that's getting a little repetitive, I think. But uh, we're back for another show, another 3 and D Show. Uh, we got a great one today. We got to talk about the Grizzlies' loss uh, to the Pacers. We're going to hear from Marcus Saul. We're going to hear from post-game sound from Chandler Parsons. And coming up in the later part of the show, we're going to preview the Rockets' Uh, game coming up on Saturday. We're going to preview the Rockets game with Max Crows from the Dream Shake. He's going to join me later in this episode, and we're going to talk about everything that you need to know getting ready for the fourth and final matchup with the Rockets. It's going to be uh, already the last one, which is kind of weird because uh, they should have played them later in the year, but it's just weird the way the schedule worked out. So the Grizzlies uh, won the first two. They lost the last one because they... Uh, didn't feel like playing at all, and so uh, now here we are, the fourth matchup, and so we'll see how the Grizzlies, um, we'll see how the Grizzlies fare. We'll talk with Max Crows. We'll talk about how to slow down the Rockets' offense, if Chris Paul might play, uh, and what he might do for the for the offense of the Rockets. But let's let's dive into some news first of all. Big news for the podcast. Uh, we have now we've actually partnered with uh, Dash Radio, DashRadio.com. It's going to be. Uh, a new partnership going forward. We're going to air our show, uh, dashradio.com. They have an app in the app store. They have, uh, uh, you can go online. There's all kinds of places to get it. You can listen to the show Wednesdays and Fridays at noon central. So you can listen to our show then. It'll be uh, an hour long. So we're going to extend the format of the uh, of the show to an hour. It was it used to be 45 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, sometimes we used to have some... Uh, shorter 15-minute preview episode. So we're probably going to combine those episodes into one one show to make it an hour uh, to fit the format for Dash Radio. So super excited about that. It's going to be a, a, good, a good partnership going forward. And so you can catch our show on their app, on the website, uh, every Wednesday and Friday at noon central. Or you can download, uh, you can still download on iTunes, still subscribe on iTunes, just like you have been before. Nothing's changed there. So uh, d- just want to get a little bit of news and notes out of the way before we talk about this. Just, just... Uh, it was a terrible game. It, the Grizzlies didn't seem like they wanted to uh, play defense at all until the last six minutes of the game. Uh, so stop me if you've heard this before. They got down by 15, decided to play, tied the game, still lost because they shouldn't have been down bef- before in the first place. So the Grizzlies did just that. It was just like another game they had done so many times before. They got down by 15 at one point. They were consistently – I mean, they were down from the get-go. Uh, they were down consistently, and so, you know, they got down. Uh, I think the biggest lead was 15. Um, Marcus Gasol was amazing. You know, he he had, uh, I think I want to say 38 points. Uh, I have to look that one up. But um, regardless, they just decided they didn't want to play. I mean, they didn't they had play defense at all. The defense was abysmal the entire game. And then the last, I don't know, start of the fourth quarter, maybe the last eight minutes, the defense picked up, and when the defense of the Grizzlies picks up, I mean, it really turns into offense for them. I mean, it, you can—it's just—it's like night and day when they're actually engaged and they're actually playing defense and they're switching like they're supposed to be doing, and they're getting deflections and they're involved in the game. It changes so much uh, the way the what they are able to do on offense, and so the Grizzlies—they they, can't—you know—they can't put themselves in a hole. They don't have enough high-powered offense and enough playmakers and enough, you know, just legitimate stars to bring them back like a Rockets or a Warriors team. They they can't continue to get down by 12 points. They can't continue to get down by 15 points and still 
be able, and, and still think that's going to just take you know just turn a switch and be able to come back right away. So, um, it's 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 a it's a it's a legitimate thing now. It's something that I think we should probably be worried about. Um, Mike Conley didn't play; he rested uh, because of the sore Achilles. I, I think I've heard I've I've heard that it's actually the heel and not the Achilles. I, I don't I don't know exactly. I'd have to confirm that. I, I don't know. I'd, if that's true, but either way, Mike Conley rested. Probably good for him to rest. Um, if you're going, if if he's questionable during the day, just rest him. I think that's my. We talked about it on the last show. Just just rest him because there's no need for him to be out there. And if he's questionable on Saturday for the Rockets, just rest him because there's no need for him to be out there. Get Mike Conley in a place where he is going to be effective on the court, where he's going to be good, where he's going to be healthy, and then go from there. And so. Personally, I think that the the injury is probably more than what they're letting on to be. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just guessing um, because there was a pregame quote in the last before the last game uh, from Coach Fisdell that said uh, he couldn't even push off on his right foot. Um, you know, if if Mike Conley can't even push off on his right foot, and, and you know, there, he has no business being on the court. And so, you know, you have a lot of money sunk into Mike and Mark, and you got to continue to monitor their health and continue to. Uh, make sure that Mike is as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So if that means he sits a few games, that means he sits nine or 10 games or whatever it is. If that means he sits, then he sits. That's just where you are. You got to look at his long, long-term health from Mike Conley. So, so he didn't play. Uh, like I said, uh, we'll just take a look at the box store box score. Excuse me. Uh, Marcus saw 35 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, five blocks, just a monster night from Marcus Just Just, just an amazing night. And he was aggressive, Mark. He he got in. He shot the ball twenty four times. I mean, he was getting into, in really good spots. He was exactly what you want Mark to be. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get any help from anybody else, hardly. Besides, maybe you know Tyreek Evans and you know Chandler Parsons were both good off the bench, like they have been. Uh, but Mario Chalmers just wasn't good enough. Uh, Joe Michael Green coming back from injury, and you kind of give him a pass because he, you know he he even told me after the game that. You know, just had to shake the rust off, and, and you know, th- yes, the first few minutes were hard for him. So, like, you know, I would expect Jamaica going to give you a lot, but he still gave you he gave you eight points. But then James Ennis gives you two points. You know, James Ennis is their starting small forward. He he, he has to be able to score the ball. He has to be able to contribute um, to the defense and cr- turn those defensive you know defensive stops into offensive points. And so, you can't have a starter going out there getting two points. And, and that's not the first time that's happened for James Ennis. It's it's been multiple games where. Um, you know, he's not getting it done. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's just probably in the wrong role. I don't know if James Ennis is probably not a starter. I don't think he is. Um, I think he's probably better off the bench. And so I I would love to see if, if we had, you know, Chandler Parsons in the starting unit and maybe James Ennis coming off the bench. So I think, I think that's something to monitor. I mean, he, you know, when you start the game, like the Grizzlies start the game and they get down by 11, 12 points in a matter of minutes. I mean, it was down, I think they were down 10 and it was in like three minutes of the game starting. I mean, that's just, that can't happen because yes, the bench has been great. The bench has been awesome. Every time they come in, they do, they do wonders for the team. They, they get you back in the game, but you can't, that shouldn't be with the, that shouldn't be the bench's job. The bench's job, it should be extending leads. The bench's job should not be coming back from leads. And so the starters have to do a better job of getting those leads and, you know, just not getting down by 10 points in, in the matter of three minutes. Uh, Marcus Gasol was great, though. Um, he did exactly what you would think he would do with Mike Conley out. Uh, when Mike Conley's out and Mark knows he's the guy, that's typically Mark. 
he usually is pretty aggressive. Uh, like I said, Mario Chalmers just wasn't wasn't good enough. Um, Dylan Brooks, he was he was effective. He, he you know he is a legitimate role player in the, in this game in this game. We say it every every episode. I feel like uh, he had eleven points. Um, you know, took a lot of probably more shots than I would like, but you know, there's shots to be taken with Mike out. Was five from ten from the field. Uh, he was he struggled really bad from the three pointer. I think at one point it was just like. In the first quarter, it was just like uh, Mike and Mark were the only ones that shot the ball. Or, excuse me, Mark and Dylan were really the ones that shot the ball. <laughs> and that's not good offense. Um, when Dylan Brooks is the only one uh, shooting threes and, and Marcus all shooting, it just that's not good offense. And so, you know, Dylan Brooks is effective, though. You 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 want him to play well, but I think you, you have to put him in certain spots to succeed as well. Um, he's still learning a lot. He still fouls a lot. But, you know, Dylan Brooks, he was still effective. Tyreek Evans, 18 points, uh, nine assists, six rebounds. Uh, Tyreek Evans had a great game again. Um, I feel like we're wasting these games from Tyreek where he's just scoring like crazy. And I just I feel like we're wasting them. I feel like he's going to go through a slump. I, I hope not because the the Grizzlies, so, they, they need him so bad. Uh, it, it's it's crazy. So I don't know where we would be if Tyreek Evans is not giving you the 18, 20 points a game that he is right now. So, um you know, he he was good though. He was great. He was Tyreek. He, he did exactly what you think he would do. And even putting nine assists, um, you know, getting the getting the ball uh, in spots. So you, you know, he missed a few people here and there. But that's you know, that's who he is. I, I don't expect him to pass it every every time down the court because that's just not who Tyreek Evans is. But it's still eighteen points is it's not something that uh, shouldn't be applauded him because it's eighteen points, six for fifteen from the from the field. Chandler Parsons, uh, he was uh, five for seven, you know, hit three three pointers, thirteen points. I played really well. I played good defense. I mean, he, him, and the Tyreek Evans uh, and Ben McLemore, Brandon Wright. I mean, the whole bench unit. They played really well. Uh, you know, they played, they played obviously much better than the starters. Um, but again, you know, they can only do so much. I mean, Marcus All can only do so much. You know, he's only thirty five points. It's just something's got to give something's got you have to get some points from somewhere from somebody else and you would think obviously that the next go-to person is Mike Conley but uh you know he just hasn't been there this year and hopefully hopefully he gets a rest and uh and comes back and and is the Mike Conley that we saw last year I mean the Pacers they I mean they just they could not miss at some points in the game they shot uh 50 57 for the game I mean that's that's just uh that's crazy. I mean, they shot fifty over fifty percent from from three pointers. I mean, you you do that. I mean, you're gonna win in most games. They 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 did exactly what we said they were gonna do in the last podcast or the last show we were here. They did exactly what they we said they were gonna do. They were gonna run up and down the court, score a lot of points. Hundred they the average one hundred eight. They scored one hundred sixteen. And at certain points, they just couldn't miss the ball. I mean, Derek Hallison had thirty points. Victor Victor Oladipo had twenty one points. Um, I mean, Darren Collison was super effective. He had it was thirty points on eight, only thirteen shots. I mean, just just crazy. So, um, the defense just wasn't there. The perimeter defense just wasn't there. That the switching that just it didn't it didn't work. And so, um, I don't know what the Grizzlies need to do to fix that, but uh, they 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 need to figure it out. They need to figure it out quickly. They're on a three game. This is now three games in a row they've lost. You know, it, it's not good. I think they're two and six in the last eight. They're they're now seven and seven. So they're, you know, they're back to where we all thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. They're they're now back to reality. So, 
they have come full circle from from being as amazing as we thought they were going to be to just meh. So um, the Grizzlies are going to have to do something. Uh, we'll kind of queue up some audio from from post game. Uh, we got Mark some audio from Marcus Saul, Chandler Parsons, uh, Coach Fizdale. Um, we'll we'll go with uh, we'll go with Mark first. They can hear him talk about. Uh, <clears throat> He talks about awareness, uh, you know, really about people being on the same page, defense. I mean, um, you could tell he's frustrated after the game, uh, the way the way things went down. Uh, but before we do that, all that all that being said, <clears throat> the how bad the Grizzlies have played, how they had to come back, they still at the end of the game had a chance to tie the game with a, with a three pointer. Um, and Marcus All got a good look. He got a good look, and I from where I was sitting, I thought it was going to go down, but it was a little long. I mean. It looked good. Uh, the, the The problem is with the Grizzlies, <laughs> if they just played a little bit of defense, like in the first quarter or the second quarter or even in the third quarter, if they just played just a tiny bit more defense, they would have won that game. And that's the reoccurring theme for all of the games they lose. If they just played a little more defense in the first half or in the third quarter, they probably win those games. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's just a mental thing. I'm not sure. I don't think anybody knows at this point, but like they have to figure that out to be able to win these to close out games. I mean, you you put yourself in a hole from the start, and then you have to try and come back. It just it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work like that. You know, so that that all that being said, they still had a chance to win the game, but they should have never been in that place. They should have never been in that situation in the first place. They should have played defense. You know, hung around to the end of the game, been up by a couple of points, and you know they, you can play tight games and still play good defense, but. Uh, the first half was it was just abysmal from them. So, um, but anyway, let's 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 uh, let's do Marcus Saul's audio. He um, he was because uh, visibly visibly frustrated. Um, you know, talked about no excuses. Uh, you know, just he he was not happy with the defense. Describe what happened in that situation versus what happened towards the end of the game when things really improved. Um, communication, discipline, um, awareness. Mm. Sometimes it looks like effort, um, but uh, I don't believe that nobody goes out there, you know, not trying to give effort. But I think, you know, the awareness and the concentration that you need and discipline um, to recognize what, you know, what every play they're trying to run, what they're trying to accomplish, um, to have five guys um, understand that at the same time and moving as a unit, um, we're going to need at least. 38 to 42 minutes of that uh, if we want to have a, a chance. That would give you consistency. The even would, you know, would give because you're going to have some great nights offensively, some good nights. But there's going to be nights that you're not going to be so so good. Uh, and, uh, and But defensively, I, I, I don't think there should ever be an, an excuse um, to not be consistent. And uh, because I, I, I just... You know, it's simple. And the difference is like you, you see what they're trying to run, you see what they're trying to accomplish, and uh, you communicate it, and then it's just a ripple effect that uh, you need to um, you know, multiple efforts, um, you know, and everybody being on the same page. Is that communication hampered by the fact that the lineups are so different again with no mic, with no we guys all, coming we, back in? We all speak out. English, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, sort of English. <laughs> So I, th I don't think that new guys. I mean, we all we all speak the same language. We all train together. We all practice. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, personnel. 
never like I see very um, not here but uh, young or or uh, you want to call it untalented players um, have a huge impact on the game defensively for a very long time so talent or you know, inexperience or age doesn't mean much it's, it's more of uh, being really aware and concentrated and and having, you know, as, as my good guy said, uh, your antennas up. And it, I had to stop the video because I, <laughs> I ran out of space. But, you know, he, he finished that statement with saying, you just got to have your antennas up uh, a la Tony Allen. So, um, you, you know, Mark Mark, you know, hits a nail right on the head. It's just, you know, it's, they're, the excuses of effort and the excuses of, you know, new people coming back, there shouldn't be excuses for the Grizzlies. They've all been in training camp. They've all, they've all been in practices. They all know what's going on. They all know the schemes. It's, it's really just about attention to detail. It's awareness. You know, it's being out there and knowing where everybody else is on the court, knowing where you're supposed to be uh, when the ball's in certain situations, uh, where you're supposed to be in pick and rolls, where you're supposed to be in defense, all that is just awareness. Yeah, and Mark, uh, as as Mark said, I mean, it's all attention to detail. And so, um, you know, you can you can see how you can understand how they get pretty frustrated when you know everybody knows the schemes, everybody knows the the defensive plays, everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Um, but then they just don't do it is, is, is a totally different story when they just don't do it because they're not paying attention or they're ball watching or, or whatever it is. Um, so you can understand how that's probably very frustrating to Mark. Um, he, uh, you could probably hear it. I know you could, I could see it when, you know, he just, um, to do all that, still have a chance to win, not get the three that he took, you know, that's, that's a lot. Um, but again, you know, if you just pay attention to what you're supposed to do and do what you're supposed to do, pay attention to detail, you're probably not in that, you're probably not in that situation in the first place. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, let's, uh, let's listen to Chandler Parsons post game and, uh, see what he has to say. I mean, he talked a lot about defense as well. Um, he talked about how he fell 25, you know, he played 25 minutes, which is the most he's played since being a Grizzly, if I'm not mistaken. He was out there at the end of the game, which is the, I can't. The first time I remember seeing him out there at the end of the game, so it's good for him though, because the Grizzlies think the Grizzlies need him out there at the end of the game. So uh, here's uh, Chandler Parsons' uh, a post game. Uh, we have to start with that defensive edge and set the tone early. Uh, we just haven't been doing that. Uh, can't allow early offensive rebounds, and, and tonight we turned the ball over a lot. And uh, you got to credit them a little bit. They they hit some tough shots, and they have capable players on there that can score the ball. So. We just have to try and make it a lot more difficult to set the tone. Uh, it's hard fighting back. And, you know how we play at the end of the game is how we need to play in the start of the game, and it's tough digging a hole against these teams. And the, no matter what the record is, these guys are NBA players. You give them a, a lead like that, it's tough to come back. Is it a lot? I know a lot of guys are trying to work their way back. Rotations are different. Chemistry might be a little bit off. Anything that you uh, put your finger on? Nah, I mean, we just, we just, we got to do everything harder. We got to do everything with more energy. We got to talk more. Uh, especially when we're that smaller group, we're switching a lot of things. So we have to communicate. We have to get our coverages and our calls down and uh, just continue to build on that. And, you know, when these weak sides got to be in, like all the little things that, you know, the coaching staff has installed in us all, all camp long and all season long. We just have to you know, execute it better during the game. How do you how do you feel physically? You finished. This is the biggest. I think this is the biggest minutes that you've played since you've arrived here. Uh, yeah, I feel great. Uh, tomorrow will tell me more. But uh, playing 24, 25 minutes, I don't even really look at it like a minute restriction. And we're gonna try and do it to where I do play at the end of the game, like tonight. So um, 
know, starting. It doesn't matter to me as long as I'm in there finishing the game and playing my minutes. Uh, I think I'll help this team win, and, and uh, I think we're a better team. How did you feel about the, the role specifically down the stretch? You were playing back to more of a three, which you haven't done as much <coughs> this year. How, how did you feel about that? More than comfortable. It's what I played my whole career. And, our three and four are very similar in our offense, and you know when we have a lineup out there with uh, uh, Dylan Brooks and the James and me and James, like all like size, we can all switch on defensive end. And you know we, you might be mismatched a little bit with a little guy who's faster or a guy who's stronger, but you know, as long as you play hard, good things are going to happen. That's what I continue to do. So communication it goes it goes pretty hand in hand with uh, attention to detail and. Uh, uh, on the defensive end, the communication is big for these guys. They have to they have to be able to do it if they're going to continue to um, if they're going to continue to do the, the switching like they have been defensively. If they're going to continue to switch everything, uh, pretty much save from Marcus Allen, he switches a lot too. Um, you're going to have to communicate, and that's something that Grizzlies really struggled with last year. Uh, switching, they really struggle with communication and, and um, talking to each other and about who's getting what switches. So. Um, that's something they're going to have to continue to work on uh, and really improve on because the, what they're doing right now is it's clearly not not cutting it. Um, uh, but last, let's let's uh, let's hear uh, let's hear Coach Fizdale's uh, post game as well. The job of just it competed. I mean, really, at the end of the day, that was the thing that was lacking through most of the game was a real competitive edge. Um, you know, getting to the shooters, getting to the airspace, challenging shots, things like that, getting the loose balls. Um, you know, the first three quarters we just didn't uh, we didn't win those battles, and so that last group I thought, really came in and uh, you know got, gave us a chance to get back in the game. And I thought Mark got a great look at the end to tie it. We just you know just couldn't get over the hump. Coach, you talk about that last shot, Mark got a good look. Was that a was that a drawn up play? Was that something? You yeah, well on? we got time because they had to review. Uh, they ended up having to review the out of bounds, so it gave us a couple of seconds to, to get organized because we didn't have any timeouts, and so we drew that up to just to try to get a clean look at it. And not, hey, we'll take it. You know, our still taking a, a wide open three, uh, even though it was, it was a deep shot, but he, he makes those all the time. So I'll take it. As you talk about the defensive challenges in the first three quarters of offense, even though Mike was limited, yeah, how much of a challenge is it to get organized when he's not even available? Well, obviously, he's a big part of running our team, and guys are used to him organizing everything uh, for the most part. Um, so, you know, not having a Mike Conley is a huge blow, obviously. And, and I think tonight, why it was maybe even more amplified is because we had three guys that hadn't played at all, you know, all coming back. Ben's played some, but he's still rusty. And those guys need as much help as possible just getting from place to place while they're, you know, getting their win back. and. You know, we had some possessions there where, you know, getting organized was tough. And credit to them, you know, I thought Corey Joseph did a good job pressuring us. Uh, Darren Collison did a good job pressuring us. So, you know, they did it for three quarters. They really uh, bothered us. That's Coach Vizdell post game. Um, you know, he, you can tell obviously he was frustrated as well. Um, you know, he did say that the, there are some people that need to get worked in, but uh, you know it. At a certain point, you know, the people have to just be, you know, people have to be worked in. You can't keep, you can't keep saying, oh, it's personnel and there's changes that, you know, at a certain point you have to be able to just, you have to be able to just, just compete. You have to be able to, to go out there and, and, and do what you're supposed to do on the defensive end. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was strange 
Uh, it continues to be strange and confusing. Continues to be confusing as to why they can't seem to uh, play defense some nights and other nights they look just like stellar. Uh, all they all look like all stars. So um, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating to watch. I'm sure it's frustrating for those players as well. But uh, uh, but but that's uh, that that you know they got to figure something out going and going especially in a Saturday going into the Rockets. The Rockets are coming here. Excuse me. Uh, for the last for the last uh, time. So uh, after the break, we'll we'll step in. We'll talk to Max Crows uh, from the Dream Shake, uh, one of the writers there. He's going to give us all the insights uh, for the Rockets game this week. So stay tuned past the break, and we will talk to him. Welcome back to another 3ND show. This is the preview portion of our show where we preview the next matchup coming up for the Memphis Grizzlies. And next up is the Houston Rockets, who have actually already played three times. And this is our fourth, which is really weird to have already played them this many times. But not, not to fear. I got Max Crows on with me. What's going on, Max? Nothing much. It is kind of strange. This last one will be the, the, the last meeting between both teams. We're done in November. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, Max Crow's writer for the Dream Shake. You can follow him at Crow's Fire. That's C R O E S F I R E. So give him a follow. He's gonna help us break down the matchup for the for the Rockets and the Grizzlies. The last time again, like I said, this, they've already played twice. The Grizzlies took the first two. Uh, the Rockets won the last one pretty handily. Uh, James Harden went off for thirty-eight points. It just uh, he had a crazy game. So um, I, I just want to start first of all. Is Chris Paul going to play on Saturday? Yeah, it sounds like we're recording this on Thursday night. I think you're going to post it on, on Friday. Chris Paul is reportedly going to play tonight against uh, the Phoenix Suns. So I think every Houston Rockets fan is going to uh, kind of snap out of the Houston Astros hangover and uh, tune into this game for sure to see what Chris Paul is going to do. Um, so we should see him on Saturday against the Grizzlies. So that's, I mean, we I don't know we didn't really see him a whole lot to start the to start the season. So I, I just want to talk really I want to talk about the dynamic with him and Harden. But how what does Chris Paul do? How does he affect the the Rockets uh, on the offensive end for you guys? Well, you are right. We barely saw him in the preseason at all, and then he played opening day against the Warriors. He left late in the fourth quarter of that game, and he never really got going in that game either. Uh, didn't score many points. Uh, and, uh, and, and so it's kind of to be seen what, what this offense is going to look like. I think the definition of the Houston Rockets offense right now is what it was last year. Push the ball, take three-pointers, get in close to the hole. I think anybody who listens to this podcast is probably familiar with the idea of Maury Ball, that the Houston Rockets do everything possible to eliminate long twos and shoot threes and get to the basket. Chris Paul has the opportunity to change that dynamic. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in NBA history. Daryl Morey and the front office have all said that they're willing to let him shoot. He shoots it at such a high percentage and it's an efficient enough shot for him that he has an opportunity to add a little bit of game to the Rockets that opens up more possibilities in the playoffs last year, the Rockets got kind of dismantled by the San Antonio Spurs who funneled them into this no-man's land that the Rockets' offense isn't accustomed to. So Chris Paul hopefully brings to the Rockets' offense 
something that breaks the defensive uh, the defensive mindset that has defeated this team in the playoffs, certainly last year. Um, and the one major thing here is that despite the fact the Rockets are a little bit more deep than they have been in past years, Mike D'Antoni still runs very, very close lineups. Or he, he really only relies on seven to eight players. This goes back to his days in the Phoenix Suns. It happened in the playoffs last year where he stuck to an eight-man rotation every single game. Having Chris Paul means that the Rockets' second unit is going to be kicked to a second level. James Harden coming off the court is often debilitating for the Rockets on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think in game two uh, against the Grizzlies, the Rockets didn't have Eric Gordon. When James Harden left the court, the team virtually had no offense. Um, So Chris Paul hopefully changes that dynamic and means that at every minute of every play of every game, the Rockets are going to have an all-star point guard on the court. Yeah, you, you talk a little. You talked just a little bit about the rotation, but I want to dive a little bit more into it. So, uh, with Chris Paul coming back, does that mean that uh, I guess Eric Gordon does he shift back to the bench unit for you guys? Yeah, Eric Gordon would be the sixth man again um, with Chris Paul coming back. Uh, he's he's having an outstanding season. He's averaging uh, well over twenty points a game. Uh, and looks like a new guy also. Eric Gordon looks like he's shed 15 pounds. Uh, he's more spry than he was last year. He's throwing down vicious dunks on people um, off the dribble. Uh, so Eric Gordon's probably going to go back to the bench, um, and uh, we're probably just never going to see uh, players like Bobby Brown again, who who hilariously, like the Rockets in uh, the second game against the Grizzlies, had to bring Bobby Brown, who might as well be the 12th man on the roster. And Sorry, Bobby Brown, but is very good friends with James Harden, so that's pretty much worth an NBA contract. Uh, <laughs> he, he came in in the first quarter of that game against the Grizzlies, and when you're a Rockets fan, you, you kind of don't want to see that. If you're a Grizzlies fan, you probably love seeing that. Yeah, that that's uh, probably on the, on the same lines as, as uh, the Grizzlies fans seeing Andrew Harrison get back, get, get back in the game now. It's not... It's not something you're probably real excited for <laughs> at that point, but... Uh, no. But yeah, I mean, Eric Gordon has been playing great. I mean, if you, especially if you move him back to the bench, like you said, if you if you move Eric Gordon back to the bench, I mean, you got you have someone in a six man who is man scoring you know eighteen twenty points a game, averaging twenty points. I mean, between uh, we might see the six man of the year battle on the side between him and Tyreek Evans, because um, those two guys are just uh, insane this year. Um, but with, especially with Eric Gordon, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, because they haven't really had that dynamic yet with uh, Eric Gordon coming off the bench and playing, kind of playing against uh, the Grizzlies' second unit guys. So it'll be interesting to see. He's been able to get his shot off against the first unit guys, so it'll be interesting to see how he does that against the second unit. My, my guess is he probably does it easily, probably does it pretty well. Um, but I want to move on to James Harden a well, little bit. Um, with with Chris Paul coming... To, 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 say that to again? point there, I mean, the Grizzlies... The Grizzlies and the two wins they had against the Rockets did a good job of making the Rockets play the Grizzlies game. Yes. Uh, the Rockets took less three-pointers in those games. I mean, I watched those games, and I said out loud, uh, the death of grit and grind was wrongly reported. You know, this, <laughs> this, this, these guys are for real um, on the defensive end. At this point, you guys are playing different guys than you did in the first two games. Um, it's, a, it's an entirely different look, but... Um, there's something to be said for how well the Grizzlies chased the Rockets around the three-point line in games one and game two that they uh, 
that they won. That's kind of what the Utah Jazz have done to the Rockets over the last couple of years since they've been on James Harden's, uh, you know, under James Harden's leadership. And so Rockets fans kind of hate watching the Jazz or hate playing the Jazz because of that. Yeah, um, I mean, the Grizzlies, they, they – you mentioned the threes they took in the game. They took 38 threes in the first two games. They took 45 in the last game. But the difference is, um, I think they made it a combined like 10 or 11 threes in the first two games, and they made 17 in the, the last one. So that's a I mean, that's a big difference. So, um, like you said, they're going to take a lot of threes. Um, they're going to, I mean, they're going to shoot a ton. Uh, but how do the Grizzlies limit that? What do they do specifically to limit that three point shot for the Rockets? Well, I think in games one and two, the number one thing that the Grizzlies did was they would just chase. They've got a lot of guys that are uh, okay to switch. I mean, maybe Marc Gasol is the the one guy on the court that you don't want dropping out on the people around the three-point line. But other than that, the the Grizzlies in game one and game two were full of irritants. I mean, James Harden, you saw how frustrated he got at the end of, uh, I believe it was game two where he had been hounded by uh, Ennis most of the game and then got into it, um, uh, was frustrated with Chalmers as well, um, and the two of them got into it at the end of the game, and James Harden kind of threw his chest out and did that, you know, come at me, bro type of move. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he's, he's not not known as a, uh, a guy that throws too many punches, I think. Uh, you, you want <laughs> Nene on the court in those situations if you're a, you're a Rockets fan. Kind of a kind of a like a, a bull Dora moment. Don't, don't use your, uh, don't use your shooting hand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the, the, the Grizzlies, I mean, uh, you guys have a lot of players that do a good job of chasing around the court, do a good job of switching, um, can, can do a lot of swapping. And quite frankly, the Rockets and adding Luke and Bon Mute and PJ Tucker are trying to emulate that um, as something uh, that has, honestly also helped the Rockets defense out and made it better than it was last year. So I want to just touch on James Harden a little bit. Uh, we, we mentioned him just for, you know, the way he is kind of, you know, as he goes, the offense goes. I mean, you mentioned the switching the Grizzlies have been doing, but does is he going to be played more off the ball as a two guard uh, now that Chris Paul's back? Or do you think he's going to be still playing the one and Chris play the two? How is that going to work? I think that you're going to see the ball be in James Harden's hands more than anybody else's. Um, Harden is still creating as as prodigious of a rate as he was last year. Uh, Just a couple of uh, games ago against the Utah Jazz, who at the time had the second-best defense in the league, James Harden produced the third-most productive game in NBA history. Between scoring and assists, he posted 91 points made and contributed, uh, which was the third highest total in NBA history. Um, Will Chamberlain obviously is number one with 104, which hilariously was 100 points and two, two assists. Um, but Harden's, Harden's doing what he did last year. I would expect that the ball is going to be in his hands as much as possible. Chris Paul would have the ball in the second unit or moments when James Harden is off the court. Uh, D'Antoni is probably going to do the best that he can to stagger their minutes to make that happen. Um, and Chris Paul also is is a good off-the-ball shooter, and I think the Rockets are hoping that he becomes an even better one uh, by uh, in, in this offense. But there's there's a little bit yet to be seen here. You know, those are those are predictions. Um, the Rockets still need to try and make Chris Paul and James Harden mesh on the court. Um, it shouldn't be a problem considering that they want to make it work uh, and that they believe that their success is intertwined. 
but we just haven't seen enough of it at this point to to know exactly what it'll look like. But that's that's what I would say. I, I, I would expect that James Harden is going to continue to be the creator. Talking with Matt Crows, Max Crows, writer for the Dream Shaking, follow him at Crows Fire. Uh, so. James Harden, uh, the way they played the Grizzlies on on offense with the, the last, uh, I guess, three games, um, they would come down and they did, they did, they did so much of the 1-4 pick and roll, uh, putting really kind of abusing Jarrell Martin because he was the, um, because Jermichael Green was hurt, so really abusing Jarrell Martin in that pick and roll. Um, and it's such a, it's so hard to defend. How do the Grizzlies defend that pick and roll? Do they, do they hedge high on, on James Harden and make him and make him just push up further than the court? Or do they, I mean, they obviously don't, you don't go under the screens, but what's the best way to play that James Harden pick and roll to make it difficult for him? I mean, I, I'm obviously a homer, but I would tell you that there really isn't a way to defend that pick and roll when he's running it with the other Rockets three point shooters, um, you know, someone like Ryan Anderson who can pop from 28, 29 feet, and it's as if he's on the line when he takes that shot, um, doesn't give you too much margin of error. The Spurs in the playoffs last year did a masterful job of, uh, of defending it, but they also had Kawhi Leonard. Um, so, you know, and, unless you've got that tends to help. near defensive talent who's going to be able to, to fight around the screens, and normally you want to try and keep up with James Harden and not foul him, uh, try and stay close to him. Uh, and uh, and don't give him those uh, those reach in uh, moments. Um, you know the NBA is supposed to cut back on it this year, but James Harden is still prodig- prodigious at getting three point fouls where he begins his shooting motion the second that he sees that your arm is in his uh, across the front of his body. Um, so keep your arms out to the sides. Try and track him down and stay with him uh, is probably the best thing that you can do. But uh, unfortunately, without defenders like uh, Kawhi Leonard, it's it's going to be really difficult for almost any team to take care of unless you've got a, got an all-defensive talent able to move with him at all times. So you're telling me there's not a huge hope for us uh, defending James Harden. I got it. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> That's I mean, okay. I told you I was going to give you the Homer opinion as well. You know, it, it's it's not it's not it's not not true. I mean, there isn't a real good way to defend him at all. I mean, he's just, he's so quick getting around people. I mean, he can shoot the three ball. He can get around you. You can say he can draw a foul. So there's not a whole lot that, that you're able to do against him to really defend it. I mean, I would be tend, I would tend to make the hedge the screen and make him do make him make decisions. But um, I think that's probably his biggest weakness in James Harden is, is his, uh, you know, getting, getting into the lane and it's kind of decision-making, but it's not really even a weakness because I'm just trying to find, something um so you know they're gonna have trouble and, and i i think they played a little bit differently in each game also because in game three um between the rockets and grizzlies they did play it a little bit differently than they did in games one and two in games one and two they kind of let Harden go towards the basket and get that lob opportunity off to quint capella um capella had good games in those and was seeing uh lots of lobs and then in game three, it seems like they started trying uh, to cut back on that or eliminate that. Um, but then they just got hit by the barrage of three pointers from the from the shooters out high. Um, yeah, so it, it's 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 kind of a toss up. It's uh it's it's a pick your poison situation for sure. You're right. You just want to try and force them into making decisions and hope that you've got people moving um, behind the action to take away what his next move is going to be. 
You're completely right. Yeah, it is. It is a very much a pick your poison with this Rockets team. They can do so many different things, and do so many different things uh, really well. You know, they, they excel at quite a, quite a, quite a few things. Uh, moving on to your bench. So, how do the Rockets get their bench involved? Like I said, the, the first couple games there wasn't the bench really wasn't there. But you mentioned that uh, D'Antoni really only plays what eight, eight guys, nine at the ma- at max. So, I mean, how do they really get the bench involved? Obviously, this has changed. There, Gordon potentially moved to the bench, but how do they get those other other guys involved uh, off the bench? Yeah, well, this is this is the downside for the Rockets. Um, the bench, you know, there's quality players there. But Mike D'Antoni really sticks to his guns. That's just always been his history. Even those Suns teams that were super successful, that posted, uh, uh, I think, you know, a couple 60-win seasons, if I remember correctly, um, those, those guys, like, he's still only stuck with eight guys. So getting the bench involved is, is for the Rockets, more um, about the defensive end of the ball, which is getting P.J. Tucker and Luke Mbambute into the game and making sure that uh, they're playing a little bit better defense than, uh, than the – Rockets uh, than the Rockets have been used to in past seasons. Um, in addition to that, I, I think, to your point, as a Rockets fan, I would love to see the bench more involved because this team ran out of gas at the end of last year. It ran out of gas at the year before that. And so the Rockets are a great regular season team. They're going to post a whole lot of wins. But uh, I think that at this point it, it's pretty assured that the Rockets have every opportunity to make the playoffs again. Um, and when the playoffs roll around, uh, James Harden needs to have the energy to be able to play those games. Uh, Trevor Reza, in most, uh, most of all, last year, he was just done. I mean, Rockets fans consider him an elite defender, but by the playoffs last season, he was out of gas and was a half step slower than he has been in the rest of his career. Um, so for the Rockets, getting the bench involved is, is something that we as fans would love to see more of. But I would have to tell you that it's just not going to happen the way Mike D'Antoni coaches. He goes into every game with the intent to win, and he's going to play the best players that he has that he believes are going to give him the best opportunity to win. Um, and uh, and so that just kind of creates a little bit of a problem for the Rockets in the in the long run. Talking with Max Crows, writer for the Dream Shake, uh, talking about Trevor Reza. I mean, he seems like a guy that should be putting in more points. Should be playing a little better this season. Um, the the I know that the three games he's played to the Grizzlies just have not been very good. I mean, did you guys expect this from him, or do you expect more from him, or is this just what Trevor Reza is now? I think that he did underperform in those games. I think he had one game definitely where he had two points um, against the against the Grizzlies. So he definitely underperforms uh, or has underperformed this season against the Grizzlies. There's no doubt about that. His three-point shooting is down this season, um, and that's concerning. Granted, he's taking more three-pointers than he ever has in the past. But with the Rockets, for the most part, uh, Trevor Reese has been around a 35% three-point shooter. Um, and we've normally and he's been hoisting about six threes a game um, in his tenure in Houston, or a second tenure in Houston, I guess I should say. Um, but right now, uh, he's shooting uh, 32%. Yeah. So he's down, you know, uh, three, three points from where you would like him to be um, on the three-point shooting, and he's taking 7.2 shots a game. Um, and it's, it's definitely not a problem with shot. Like, he's, he's doing the same thing he's always done, and James Harden is continuing to draw the offense in, or the defense in and then kicking out to him on the – on the side. So I think the major thing that we'd like to see is uh, as Rockets fans is his uh, three point shooting percentage go up on the whole also. And I, I, 
I can't remember if this stat is still good, but as of like two weeks ago, I believe 70% of Trevor Rivas shots were three pointers. So, you know, that's what he does and we need him to do it well. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you take away something that that's your primary kind of uh, weapon, if you're taking away those, those three pointers and, 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 or if you're not making them, um, that's going to, that's going to significantly decrease your offense quite a bit. Um, but uh, you know, how you talk about the three pointers, uh, the, the Rockets take what well, they average, they, they average 45 threes a game, which is, uh, it isn't crazy to me. I'm, I'm sure it's fun to watch every night, but this is crazy to me. How much is that? Uh, how much is that? If you guys don't make them, you're not going to win the games or is it, are there other things that you can do to make sure you, to ensure wins when those threes aren't falling? Yeah. And, and so the three-pointer obviously is what drives the Rockets' offense. The entire team is built around that structure, um, and the entire ethos of the organization, uh, like I mentioned before, right, is this concept of Mori Ball that people have heard about year after year, where it's get the most efficient shot possible. Um, I think with Chris Paul, uh, the question is open then, are there things the Rockets can do other than just shoot threes to get the points that they need to win a game? Their defense, our defense is better than it has been in previous seasons, but it's still not an elite defense in the league. So we've got to score to win games, and especially in the regular season. The Rockets rely uh, almost solely on coming into buildings and surprising people with how quickly they are, or the pace of play and how many threes that they take. And before you know it, uh, a team is down 12 points in the first quarter. Um, so a lot of it is going to be if the threes fall. In the games against the, the Grizzlies that, uh, that they lost so far, they shot 30% from three. Um, in wins on the season for the Rockets, they shoot 35% from three. But the one big thing for uh, the Rockets and Grizzlies when they match up is how many threes the Rockets take. In wins that the Rockets have this season against all teams, they average 45.9 three-point attempts a game. In the losses that they have to the Grizzlies, they only took 38.3. I guess I said only, but that's still a ridiculous amount, right? It's kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? kind of funny to say only, <laughs> but that's uh, that's uh, a reduction of uh, of eight three pointers a game. Um, so for the Rockets to win games, they got to hoist. Um, that's kind of that's kind of the mantra and the ethos, and that's what everything is built around. That's why uh, James Harden is just surrounded by guys like Trevor Ariza who are just ready to jack. I mean, that's what they that's what they want to do, and that's what they've been in to do. And that's why Mike D'Antoni always says that everybody has a green light if you're behind the three point line and open. I, I want to ask you, Clint Capella. Yeah, <laughs> um, I want to talk about Clint Capella. Actually, I mean, he's a he's a good player. I mean, is is he the future? I mean, I guess he's part of the cornerstone of this franchise for the, for going forward. Yes. There's a big debate about this uh, in, in, amongst our writers. Um, I am not as high on Clint Capella as some of the other writers at the Dream Shake are, um, so, but I would tell you that he is a player that absolutely fits the mold of what the Rockets need and are looking for. He's somebody that unlocks James Harden a little bit more because he's someone that rolls to the basket as hard as he does, and James Harden attracts all the attention. Obviously, you know, he's, he's good enough to make a layup from either side or with both hands. But uh, with two or three defenders sucking down on James Harden, Clint Capella being as large, as athletic as he is, and most uh, importantly, as in sync with James Harden as he is, uh, he just rolls to the basket. I mean, he's pretty much, he, he looks a lot like Tyson Chandler did on those Mavericks teams when the Mavericks won a title. 
was somebody that, you know, worked with that offense and knew where everybody was going so that he could put himself in position to get those lobs um, and throw down dunks. Um, so Clint Capella uh, and, and certainly his age and athleticism um, and the fact also that he had a uh, significant injury last year, broke his leg, but was able to come back from that and looked good. So he's, he's shown like a mental maturity and toughness to be able to rebound from an injury. Uh, I, I think Rockets fans definitely want to believe that Clint Capella is going to be the future of the center position for the Rockets. If not, um, you know, ignoring, ignoring all the unicorns across the league, um, the future of the center position for a lot of teams. So I mean that's that's interesting. I I guess I was just on the impression that uh, he was your guy. I didn't understand. I guess I, I you know obviously I don't get to see him every single game like you guys do. So I was under the impression that that he was the I guess the the future for what you guys are doing. Um, so that's that's really interesting well, for, to see how you how you you guys view for, him. For me, for me, in my opinion on that, it just comes down to money. Um, Clint Capella has been a great player for the team, and he's going to attract a big number. Um, and uh, and the Rockets as an organization are going to have to make a decision on which direction they're going to go and whether that's a that's a a, a role that can be filled for somebody for a, a lower amount than Clint Capella is probably going to command. He's going to be a free agent after the season. He's been a great player. He's young, um, and the the value of centers in the NBA has fluctuated very rapidly. Right? We've seen uh, guys like Jan Mahimni get a giant contract. Uh, Timothy Mozgov get a giant contract. Neither of those guys, uh, in in my opinion, you know, can uh, would steal any minutes from Clint Capella. Um, and then you see someone like Nerlens Noel, who, despite even playing well and looking good um, for a little while, um, ended up where he is, which is on a one-year contract for I think four million bucks. Um, so these costs have fluctuated wildly. Um, and it's not going to come down to whether or not the Rockets want him back. I think they want him back. James Harden most certainly would want him back. But it's going to come down to a question of how much money that's going to cost and whether or not the, the salary cap is going to allow the Rockets to make those moves, considering the money that they have invested in James Harden. Chris Paul is going to be a free agent at the end of this year, and the Rockets are going to have to make the decision on whether or not to sign him to a five-year Supermax deal. Um, and also Ryan Anderson is still on the books for $20 million a season, which was uh, what prevented the Rockets from acquiring Carmelo Anthony in the offseason. Yeah, I guess for, for uh, Clint Capella, he's one of those players that, you know, he doesn't do – he has to be able to do something very – uh, very something very significant and very well. I mean, to be able to pay him, someone like that, it's almost like, can you replace him? Um, you know, does he do things enough that you can find a replacement, like you said, for just a lower value? The, you know, someone that just rebounds and lobs. You know, does he have a certain skill set that's it's very hard to replace or not easily come by that you ha- kind of have to pay him? So that that's probably where um, I, I see what you're saying there. You know, you kind of have to weigh the options on um, whether you not you can replace him or you need to keep him. Um, for for the future, uh, you mentioned Ryan Anderson. I do want to before I let you go. We do want to talk about him. How important is Ryan yeah. Anderson t- to what you guys do on the offensive end? Ryan Anderson last year was really important because of the range that he shoots from. I mean, when you watch Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson behind the three point line, they aren't touching the line. They're they're four feet, five feet behind it, and and that's not a worry or a concern for them at all. Um, they will go to where they need to go to get open shots. Um, and doing that opens up the, the pick and roll for James Harden a whole lot more. Um, if you're running a pick and roll um, or even, you know, screen series with Eric Gordon or Ryan Anderson, 
um, and James Harden, you can't leave those guys. You can't let them float behind um, because they're going to be as lethal from uh, pretty far behind the three-point line as they're going to be on the three-point line. Um, I think Ryan Anderson, the major things that he's done this season um, are his defense has improved, whether that's just an intensity issue or whether that's um, you know him putting in serious work. Uh, he looks better on the defensive end than he did last year, which is important for the Rockets team because he was pretty much – uh, unable to contribute on the defensive end in many circumstances. And there was a big question of whether or not the Rockets' best lineup is going to be something that pushes Ryan Anderson up to the center position with Chris Paul in the lineup. If Ryan Anderson is playing better defense, certainly down low, then it gives you more options to run smaller lineups uh, for the Rockets with more three-point shooters on the floor than it does if he doesn't. Um, Clint Capella, uh, as we were just discussing, his free throw shooting is still a liability, though he's doing much better than he has in past seasons. Last year, he was uh, like an Andre Drummond type of three, uh, free throw shooter. Um, he's improved dramatically, but had his free throw shooting woes continued and should they resurface, then he's a player that, uh, you know, despite the, the praise I was heaping on him, uh, that you can't really have on the court in the final two minutes. The Rockets went with Nene on the court in the final two minutes most of the, in most of the playoff games that they played last year for that reason. Um, Ryan Anderson's rebounding also looks stronger and better than it did last year, and he said in the offseason and coming back to this team after the Carmelo Anthony thing fell apart and Carmelo Anthony went to the Thunder, Ryan Anderson was clear that, hey, I think I need to improve my rebounding um, in order to contribute to this team more, and he's done that. He looks he looks like a stronger rebounder so far, whether that's just effort because he doesn't look more chiseled, he doesn't look bigger than he has in past seasons. Um, so whether it's just effort and intensity uh, or whether it's something he spent all offseason doing, um, he's contributing a little bit more than he was last season. And his mere presence on the court, uh, you know, gives you a piece of artillery almost that can open up from almost anywhere. Yeah, he is a he is a dangerous option. I know it's uh, he's one of the people the Grizzlies have always uh, longed for in a trade, but have never and will never get. Um, he, you know, he's just he's just so like he said, he's, he's so so many uh, options for you. Um, once you have someone that can shoot that far and is that big and can play that position, it, it really opens up the court. Uh, just just changes everything. So, uh, last question though, I just want to get uh, get your thoughts. Yeah. Who's who's going to win the game tomorrow? You don't have to give me a score. Just curious who you think's going to win. Well, I think I think I got to go with the Rockets on on Game Four. The Grizzlies gave them fits in Game One and Game Two, but um, and, and they did a good job of forcing the Rockets to play their game. But then in Game Three, James Harden opened up the court a whole lot, um, and that's uh, that's the one that the Rockets won. Um, and the Rockets played their game, scored 111 points. Um, so as long as the Rockets play their game, I, I, I think that their offense is going to be able to outscore. Uh, the Grizzlies uh, and and do what needs to be done to get the game taken care of. I'd also say that you guys, uh, you know, have some change of personnel from the first two wins that you had. Um, Jarrell Martin is out. Michael Green is in. Wayne Seldon is is in. Um, we hadn't seen him yet this season. Um, so there's uh, there's personnel changes, um, and I think we're all just going to be tuning in and excited to watch uh, what the Chris Paul James Harden dynamic uh, is looking like, and it's in what will be their second game together back from uh, back from the injury. Um, and, I mean, just generally, if I can get on my soapbox for a second before we leave, uh, I, I like this Grizzlies team. I think that this Grizzlies team plays hard. Um, they're a team uh, and a group of guys that get counted out very frequently. And uh, I took the over on them in the preseason. Um, me and my friends always do uh, 
do an over-under pick against the Vegas Lions. I took the over on them, so I'm interested to see them be successful from a, from a, a point of bragging and personal pride. Um, but, uh, but also, I, I don't really think that you can ever count out a team that has Marcus Gasol and uh, Mike Conley on it. Um, both of those guys, uh, Mike Conley certainly has been overlooked year after year, but I think he would be on every all-star team that Paul Millsap was on on the Eastern Conference easily. Um, over the past five years um, should he have been in a different conference. So uh, I, I like watching the Grizzlies play. Um, they always play hard. And quite frankly, after watching those, uh, those first games, like I said before, like, you know, Zach Randolph uh, and Tony Allen might be gone, but that still looked like a grit and grind team that was hustling its ass off and, uh, and forcing the Rockets to play the Grizzlies game. Yeah, it, it's uh, definitely a different team. Uh, the Grizzlies, a different team, but probably still same mentality. So um, they are fun to watch. I, th- I know the Grizzlies fans appreciate when people people acknowledge that. Uh, but again, they got Max Crows joining me, writer for the Dream Shake. Make sure you go and follow him at Crows Fire. Man, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, and uh, and also, I should say, uh, I'll be watching every dribble Chandler Parsons takes. <laughs> I, I will too. That's MVP Chandler Parsons. Uh, just as just as many as I can get. <laughs> as he's as he's referred to on my Twitter feed only. But I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming by. As always, uh, that's been the three and D show. It, it's getting you ready for the next matches for the Grizzlies. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me at King underscore producer. You can follow the show at three ND pod, and you can rate and uh, review our show in iTunes. Make sure you subscribe five-star reviews only.